Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. Whether you're joining us online or here in person, we welcome each and every one of you this morning. Later in the service, we will have our annual water communion ritual. So if you brought water with you, just hold on to it. We will get there. If you didn't remember to bring water, we will use our memory and our imagination, and we have provided some extra water for that purpose. We are a spiritual community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth, meaning, and beauty. And again, I welcome each of you here this morning. I especially want to welcome our visitors. If you're with us online, please say hello in the comments if you have the ability to do so, and let us know from where you're watching the service. If you're here in person, please join us for coffee and conversation in House and Hall after the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to greet the holy among us, either by saying hello in the comments online or turning to those around you here in person in the sanctuary. Please say with me the words for lighting our chalice. This is the flame we hold in our hearts as we strive for justice for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression until they are no more. And this is the warmth that we share with one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. Our call to worship this morning is a selection from The Return of the Rivers by Richard Brotigan, a white American author and poet best known for his novel Trout Fishing in America. He writes, All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return again. It is raining today in the mountains. A slow rain sizzles on the river like a pan full of frying flowers. And with each drop of rain, the ocean begins again. This congregation has a common religious purpose. It grew out of our principles and values. We wrote it together, and we love it so much, we put it on our wall in our sanctuary, and we say it together every Sunday. Let's do so now. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Each week... To more deeply examine what we mean by that term, beloved community, we have a moment for beloved community. Staying with our aquatic theme today, we want to tell you about Joan Means Cabele. She was recently honored posthumously by the city of Austin because in 1960 she helped build the beloved community in our area by leading some of her fellow high school students in a protest against segregation that existed at the time at Barton Springs Pool. They got into the pool, they were kicked out, 
they went around the barriers and got back in the pool. And this started a series of swim-ins at pools all across our area and eventually led to the desegregation not only of Barton Springs, but of all pools in our area. I'm going to let you hear her talk about it in her own words. 1960, spring of 60, I went to Austin High, and the principal called me in and said, I consider you to be the leader of the black kids in your class, so I want you to go and tell them none of you can go to the senior picnic because Barton Springs and Zilker Park are segregated. We did petitions, and many parents signed, and students themselves. I think they eventually said, well, you can go to the picnic, you know, but they weren't going to change the policy forever. They were just saying, oh, let them go. It's just eight. Barton Springs is iconic. Barton Springs is Austin. Even though I had never been there, everybody talked about it all the time. We had to do the pool. They didn't really have it properly locked off. You know, you just go around this way and you're in. You know how big Barton Springs is. How do you control all the people in there? So we started swimming. They really don't know at first. Then they'll notice, oh, there's some black kids in there. They want to take us out. Then we go around, catch our breaths, and come back again. That summer was full of swim-ins. We did a lot of ends. Um, and this was happening, it was spreading like wildfire across the country. Eventually, they changed the city ordinance. I found that almost everything that opened, we had to march, protest, petition, go to the council. These things just don't open by themselves. I'd like to invite all the children to make their way up here as if they were moving like a river. So we are really lucky here, most of us, most of the time, to have lots of water, aren't we? But it's not like that for everyone everywhere. In some parts of the world, people have to walk for hours and hours a day to get to a place where they can get some water. And our story today is about that. This is a story, it's actually a true story, about someone named Georgie Badia Liberty, who is a supermodel. And she grew up in West Africa, where she had to walk six hours a day to get her water. And then she became a supermodel and moved to Paris and met all kinds of people and made all kinds of money and used that money to help bring better water, cleaner water, to the people that she grew up with. So Susan Verdi and Peter H. Reynolds, we've read a lot of books by them, they got together with, with Georgie and they wrote this book about her childhood. This is called The Water Princess. I am Princess Gigi. My kingdom, the African sky, so wide and so close, I can almost touch the sharp edges of the stars. I can tame the wild dogs with my song. I can make the tall grass sway when I dance. I can make the wind play hide and seek, but I cannot make the water come closer. I cannot make the water run clearer no matter what I command. It is early morning, still dark. My mother wakes me. Gigi, my princess, it is time to get up. We must collect the water. Water, come, 
Do not make me wake, for even the sun is out of bed, I demand. Come, please, I say. But the water won't listen, and I know we will have to walk so far to the well. I am too sleepy to put on my crown. I think of the pot that will rest on my braids instead. The thirst comes quick, dry lips, dry throat. I squeeze my eyes shut. I see it, clear. I dip my toes in it, cool. I scoop it up and bring it to my lips. Slowly, I open my eyes, nothing. I kick the dust. I grab my empty pot and place it upon my head. My mother does the same, and our journey begins, full of song. My mama adds her melody. Our steps are light. We twirl and laugh together. The miles give us room to dance. Halfway there, we stop for a moment at the giant karite tree, long enough to grab a handful of sweet shea nuts for energy. We can keep the dance going just a little longer. Mama, are we there yet? Finally, I hear the water running from the well, the giggles of my friends, the chatter of women. Some have traveled farther than I, only to return home when the sun has gone to bed. Mama holds our place while I play with friends. The dance continues. The water is flowing. Pots filling with the dusty, earth-colored liquid. Gigi, make not. My turn now. The dance home has slowed to careful steps. My thirst so heavy, like the full pot carried. Our song is softer now. Our shoulders ache. Our feet cramp. I see home at last. Mama boils enough water for drinking. We wait. We wash our clothes. We prepare food for cooking. My father comes quickly from the fields to share in the drink and the meal. He scoops me up. My princess, you have returned with the water. Drink, Mama says. Finally. Every sip fills me with energy. I want to make it last, but I can't. I gulp it down. Clothes and body clean, I sing to the dogs. I dance with the tall grass. I hide from the wind. Mama brings one last cup she has saved just for me. Drink, my princess. Sleep, my princess. Tomorrow we journey. Mama, I say as I close my eyes, why is the water so far? Why is the water not clean? Where is our water? Sleep, she says. Dream, she says. Someday you will find a way, my princess. Someday. I, princess Gigi, my kingdom, the African sky, the dusty earth, and someday the flowing, cool, crystal clear water. Someday. Our centering reading this morning is from Rumi, a 13th century Persian poet, Islamic scholar, and Sufi mystic. His poems 
have been translated into many world languages and transposed into various formats. Rumi has been described as the most popular poet and the best-selling poet in the United States. He writes, You are not a drop in the ocean. You are the entire ocean in a drop. This is the time in our service when we center ourselves together. Today we're going to try something new, a moving meditation. Bill is going to model the movements for you. Maybe Chris will do so sitting down too. Are you up for that? You can sit. Well, you can show them what it's like sitting. If you sit. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So please participate in whatever way is most comfortable to you, and we're going to ask you to make some big movements. Don't worry about bumping your neighbor, because they're probably more worried about bumping you than they are about you bumping them. So it will be fine. So first I invite you to close your eyes or soften your gaze and bring your attention to your breath. Notice the breath flowing in and the breath flowing out. Flowing in and flowing out. This is not going to be a silent time, by the way. We do have children, and we welcome those sounds. We're just noticing our own breath flowing in and flowing out. Notice how it feels to be in your body this morning, knowing that more than half your body is made of water. Let your focus wander around inside your body, noticing what you feel there without judging. Now we're going to let our focus flow down through our feet and trickle down through the floor, down, down, through the earth to the aquifer, the Edwards Aquifer, that great limestone sponge. Imagine it there deep underneath us, holding water, holding the memories and wisdom of eons. Let the body, the water in your body, reach out to the water deep in the earth. Let us reach our arms down and scoop up the wisdom of the aquifer and bring it to our hearts. And now, reaching up to the clouds, those beautiful holders of water in the air, gathering the energy from the clouds, bringing it into our hearts. And now we spread our arms wide, sharing these blessings with all. Reaching down to the wisdom of the aquifer, bringing it up to our hearts. Reaching up to the clouds, gathering in their energy and flexibility, and stretching wide to share. Reaching down to the water deep underground, knowing it is part of us and we are part of it. Reaching up to the clouds, gathering in their innate intelligence of knowing where they're needed, bringing it back to our hearts and sharing these blessings. Reaching down to the aquifer, up to the clouds, bringing all the blessings into our hearts 
sharing them wide. Reaching down deep into the earth from which we come. High, high, up into the loftiest clouds. Bringing it all into our hearts. And stretching wide and sharing. I invite you now to light candles, candles of joy, sorrow, hope, remembrance, or you may simply continue meditating or the movements.
Welcome to our annual in-gathering, the beginning of a new church year. Our summer travels have mostly ended. Our youth and children have started their classes in school again. So we gather to launch a new year of living our mission, exploring our dreams as a religious community. It is a time of renewal and faith and hope. And yet I know that many of us are feeling an absence this morning because our senior minister, Meg Barnhouse, now Minister Emerita, retired at the end of the last church year and is not here for this in-gathering. That's okay, though. We can hold our love for Meg and feel the hope that's driven within us by a new church year all at the same time. I'm doing that now. I'm thinking of Meg, and yet I am so filled with hope because so many of you are revitalizing and even reimagining so many of our programs and ministries after coming out of a time of pandemic and virtual church. It's been our practice here at First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin to start our in-gathering with the water communion ritual that is a tradition within our Unitarian Universalist faith. So I wanted to give you a little bit of the history of that tradition. It originated in 1980 out of our Unitarian Universalist feminist movement. A couple of our feminist lay leaders, Carolyn McDade and Lucille Chuck Longview, put together the first water communion service for the Women and Religion Continental Convocation of Unitarian Universalists. They called it coming home like rivers to the sea. They wrote, water is more than simply a metaphor. It is elemental and primary, calling forth feelings of awe and reverence acknowledging that the ocean is considered by many to be the place from which all life on our planet came, water, then, is the womb of life. And so this ritual within our tradition has come to remind us of our shared faith and the sources that we share from which we all emanate of that river of love that flows through our universe and through this religious congregation and within each and every one of us so that we both are replenished by it and serve as tributaries toward it. So that river develops rapids of ever-growing love. Over the years, though, our water communion ritual has developed in ways that are sometimes problematic. I'll give you just a few examples. There can be some unintentional classism because some of us have resources to travel to faraway places and bring water back, places that others of us can only dream about visiting For a congregation as large as ours, the classic way of doing the water communion where we put a microphone up here and everybody brings their water up and one by one tells the story of where their water comes from can go on for a very, very long time until we all get dehydrated. 
And it can result in uneven sharing because some of us Unitarian Universalists, me included, can be a little more verbose than others. So we're going to be doing it a little differently this time. We'll tell you about that in just a bit. For now, though, as we come back together for a new church year, let us sense how we are like those rivers to the sea, commingling our spirits and recognizing our shared sources of life and well-being. And now Kelly is going to help us take a deeper dive into some of this. Yeah. <laughs> Kelly. Water communion combines three things that I really love so much. Water, ritual, and this church community. So I'm a little giddy today. But I, I'll admit that I'm a little more accustomed to the classroom than the pulpit. So my first inclination is to say... Now, who can raise their hand and tell me about the water cycle? <laughs> I thought that I understood the water cycle. The rivers flow into the sea. The water evaporates to become clouds. The clouds rain down, filling up the rivers. Wash, rinse, repeat, right? And then along came respiratory droplets. Now, I know that respiratory droplets were always there, but I wasn't thinking about them. And I know we don't really want to think about them too much while we're all in here together. So let's, let's imagine that we're outside. It's a sunny day. The sun is shining. We drink a little water. We sweat just a little bit. We breathe in peace. We breathe out love and respiratory droplets. And all those little water droplets from our skin and from our breath go up, up, up into the sky and gather together with their little water droplet friends to become clouds. Clouds! Water from our bodies turns into clouds. And not just from our bodies, right? But from dogs and cats and armadillos and those foxes that were living on our church playground and from live oaks and from mountain laurels and from Shoal Creek and Town Lake and from Barton Springs. The water cycle doesn't exist outside of ourselves. It moves through our physical bodies, connecting us to every other thing that holds water on our planet. In our seventh Unitarian Universalist principle, we agree to affirm and promote respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Nowhere is this interdependence more tangible to me than in our connection to water and through it to everything else. The water that moves through our bodies connects us to glaciers, wetlands, snow people, koalas, narwhals, pandas, orchids, ancient redwoods, coral reefs, and whether I like it or not, to fire ants and poison ivy, and white supremacists. <laughs> we are all connected by the water that we carry. Now, all these things carry water, but not like a plastic water pitcher, or even like the big pot that Gigi carried on her head. A container that you fill up with water, and when you pour it out, the water is the same. Instead, we act as a filter, 
Taking what we need from the water, leaving what we don't, changing it in the process. Everything in nature does this too. As the water passes through underground rock, it picks up minerals, which it takes to the river. If the river passes through polluted area, it picks up chemicals, which it carries downstream. There are other streams passing through us besides water, streams of information and ideas. We act as a filter for this stream too, taking in certain ideas, discarding some, releasing others back into the stream. The ideas that we hold on to inform what we believe about ourselves and about the world. They impact how we feel and speak and act. And in this flow of ideas, we are just as interconnected as in the water cycle. That means that what we believe and what we share with others doesn't only impact us, but enriches or pollutes everyone downstream. So, what makes up this filter? Where does the thought filter come from? I think it might come from our experiences and the way we were taught to interpret those experiences, from the cultures that we live in and from our chosen values. As a religious educator, I would really love to think that our values make up the biggest part of this mental filter. But unless we are purposefully reflective and conscious about our thinking, it's really easy to be influenced by our Twitter stream, by old family patterns, by the people at work or school, even the ones we don't particularly like or agree with, by what we see on TikTok, and whether I like it or not, by white supremacy culture, which flows through and around all of us. So how do we cultivate a values-influenced filter? How can we make a conscious choice to be a filter for good, taking in whatever polluted waters of thought and ideas are given to us, filtering them through our sense of justice, our belief in the power of community, and our faith in our ability to be resilient, to make change? There are lots of ways, right? I'm going to focus on two. I believe the first step to tending our mental filter is self-care and spiritual care. When we are tired, burned out, traumatized, feeling empty, depleted, alone, anxious, or purposeless, it is so hard to tend our filter, or even really to care about it at all. And it's just easiest to be influenced by whatever feels easiest, to return to default mode. This is normal, and if you're feeling this way, you are not alone. Don't be hard on yourself. But whether we like it or not, the default systems in our culture are systems of oppression. So if you're feeling up to it, tend your filter by taking good care of yourself. Tend your spirit. Find your own black, muddy river to walk by and find a song of your own to sing. Another way I think we make sure our filter is serving us, allowing us to hold on to and release into the world thoughts and ideas in line with our values, is to be clear about what our values are in the first place. Here at First UU, we have a self-guided video-based curriculum called Parents of Preschoolers. It helps families begin the process of faith development at home. In the first session, it asks parents and caregivers to identify their personal values and determine the most important values for their family. 
I don't think we should do this only when we're raising children. It's a valuable exercise for all of us. Which values are most important to you? Now, I may not be able to make you raise your hand and give me your answers right here, but I'm still a teacher, and I'm sending you home with a worksheet. I made copies. They are just outside the door on that little table right outside the doors. You can get them on your way out, or I have links to them on the worship page on our website, both to the worksheet and the curriculum if you're interested. We can't know if we're speaking and acting from our values if we don't know what they are. And not only does this impact those downstream, but how we see ourselves. I might be feeling guilty for not doing a particular thing well, but then I realize that doing that thing well isn't actually something I value. It's just an expectation I've picked up from the culture around me. Identifying our values helps us live our most authentic lives. So today, we're going to try another way to identify our values by examining what's important to us and looking for the values that support it. Every year, we bring our own sacred water and share it with our church community. This year, we're going to ask ourselves, what does my sacred water have to teach me about my own values? Maybe you brought water from your beach vacation. Why is it sacred to you? Is it because when you're at the beach, you feel a connection to nature? Perhaps a connection to the divine? Is it because you go to the beach every year with your family, and that water represents the love that you build and rebuild together every year as you come back together? Maybe you brought water from your kitchen sink, representing your value of expressing gratitude for the gifts of everyday life, or your value of staying aware of what you have that others don't, like access to clean, drinkable water. Maybe you brought water in the bottle that you always carry to the Capitol when you protest the harmful laws that are being passed in our state, representing your commitment to justice. Next, we're going to find someone nearby that you didn't come with and briefly share the story of your water with them, and most importantly, the values this water represents. If you didn't bring physical water, share your story anyway. We know this may be difficult for those of us with social anxiety or trouble hearing, especially with masks. Feel free to opt out, or if you do share, just do your best, trusting in the process of sharing. We're going to give you a minute to find your little buddies, and then we're going to give you six minutes, and we'll let you know when the time is up, half the time is up, so that you can switch. So, where does your water come from? And what value does that represent to you? Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Sing with us if you care to. There's a river flowing in my soul. There's a river flowing in my soul. And it's telling me that I'm somebody. There's a river flowing in my 
peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.